I love it. I love being out here uh, for more than just the weather, although it's so beautiful out here. I love coming to this church. I love you guys, your kindness to me, your generosity of spirit every time I'm here. It does not get old. And so I'm just gonna try and say thanks every time I get up here. I don't wanna take it uh, for granted. And so just thank you. I'm super excited about this morning because we're talking about one of my favorite subjects. As a pastor, it wasn't always my favorite subject because I used to dread the generosity talks, the giving talks, the time we were in these series because I grew up with a lot of baggage around this because I watched late night television and those uh, Christian guys raising money on the television weren't always the, the best guys, right? And they seemed like charlatans. And I always felt when I would hear talks about giving and generosity, especially in the church context, there was always this sense of a little bit of manipulation and, and, and manipulation via guilt. And none of that just ever resonated with me. And then all of a sudden I found myself as an adult and a pastor. And now I have to give these talks. And so I would hate him and I would shy away from him and I would lose sleep all week as I was preparing because uh, it was just like, I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be that guy that I used to not like. And now I'm up on stage doing the same thing. And then as I've grown up a little bit in my relationship with God, it's evolved into this complete and total joy to talk about the issue of generosity and specifically the issue of generosity around finances. Because there is like replete throughout the word of God, there is so much challenge and encouragement from God about this issue of money, right? We talked about it last week, where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus said. And so it makes sense, like we need to talk about our treasure quite often because it literally dictates the trajectory of how our heart is. And so now when I get up here, I can't wait for these type series because it's one of the most pastoral issues that you can confront in the church. But here's the deal. It's also, come on, let's just be honest. Is money not about as personal as it gets here on planet Earth? It's just one of the most intimate and personal things that we have to work through. So here's just my statement up top. I pray as I talk today that you hear no guilt. You feel no condemnation wherever you're at on the spectrum of generosity, wherever you're at on the spectrum of giving, especially as it relates to the church. I pray that you wouldn't feel any of that. If you hear that from me, just discount it because that's not uh, my true heart. But here's what you are going to hear today is challenge. The scriptures we're talking about, they're very inspiring, but you know what? They're also very convicting and challenging and conviction from the Holy Spirit is a beautiful thing. And so I just want to jump right in. I want to start by talking to you a little bit. I love doing this. Won't be the last time uh, about my family. About five years ago, my son was 11 years old, my oldest son. I have four kids and he, uh, he did something for the first time that we uh, as a family had never experienced. And this was really difficult for me and my wife because we were sending him away for six days to summer camp. Now, five years later with four kids, I can't wait for summer camp to come. And no, there's no fear, there's no worry. But this was our first kid. And I had never been away from him for more than 48 hours before that. And this was gonna be six days. And I was so nervous. And they had this little registration thing for the parents to come to. And they told us all about the camp and made us feel better about it. And one of the things they showed us while we were there was they, they gave us a, a wristband for our son to wear the whole time he was there. And on this wristband, there was a barcode. And they said that barcode was uh, for money to be put on that wristband. You could have up to $50 maximum put on there. And it was basically, we're like, for what? And they're like, snacks. And I'm like, $50 of snacks? I want to come to camp. This is amazing. Snacks and food are my love language. Like, this is incredible. And so uh, being the worried, nervous dad I was, I didn't do this for Jude. He didn't need $50. I did this for me. I put the full 50 on there. No brainer. 
But then me and my wife, we sat you down and said, listen, on this little barcode thing on your bracelet, that's where you can go to the snack bar and you can, you can get the snacks that you want throughout the week. I said, here's the deal though. You're not even gonna need close to $50 in six days for snacks, okay? So don't spend it all. But what we said was this, because we've been trying, we don't always get it right, come on parents, but we've been trying to instill in our kids a spirit of generosity from birth. Not all of you got to grow up in homes where that was modeled for you. And so this subject is especially sometimes difficult for you and personal, right? But I was blessed to grow up in a home that had it modeled for me. And my wife and I, by God's grace, we've been trying to model it for our kids. And so we sat Jude down and said, Jude, listen, you're not gonna need the full 50, but there's gonna be some kids at this camp, we already been told this, that are on scholarship. They couldn't pay to come to this camp if someone didn't pay for it for them. There's gonna be kids that currently aren't as financially blessed as, as we happen to be. And so I want you with that barcode, I want you to find some, make it your job to find some kids and be subtle about it and kind about it, but find some kids that you know came here on scholarship and or look for some kids that, that aren't buying snacks and, and just make sure that you use our $50 to share snacks with them as well. So he went, he did it. He had a great week. He went back the next few years as well. He loved it. On our way home, though, we were debriefing with him. I'm like, Jude, how'd it go? And he's like, it's awesome. I can't wait for next summer already. And I go, uh, what'd you do with the 50? He's like, well, I spent $35 to add on snacks. I was like, good Lord, that's a lot of money on snacks. Okay, he's like, but it wasn't all for me. He goes, I did what you told me to do, and I, I shared some of it. And I was like, son, that is awesome. I'm so proud of you. And you could hear the excitement in his voice. And then I said, all right, where's my 15 back? <laughs> he says, I don't have it. I said, come again. He said, I don't have it. I, I spent it. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, yeah, the last chapel we had, the last day of camp, they put some video on the board, uh, helping out some kids somewhere else. And I, I gave it all to charity. <laughs> yeah. Right. Pretty, pretty sweet. But, but, but here's what I could have thought and said in that moment. No, son, you didn't give any money to charity. Your mom and I just gave $15 to charity and you didn't consult us first, right? But come on, fathers, you understand this. That thought didn't even cross my mind when he told me he gave the other 15 to the good cause of charity. The first thing I'm thinking of is just the pride of the father's heart. Come on, dads, you understand this, right? And we gotta remember, dads, we're just microcosms of the father. We're just broken and beautiful, imperfect versions of the perfect father with no brokenness, right? So that instinct of joy and excitement and pride that I had as his father, do you know where that comes from? It comes from our father. He feels that kind of way that I felt, except times a million because it's a perfected feeling. He feels that way every time we have instincts of generosity. Every time we do this very faith-filled thing where we take some of what is ours and we give it to someone else in dire need or someone else in a certain situation or when we give to the local church that is doing the single most important work on planet Earth all around the globe, every time you choose in your heart to do that, you gotta understand this is sweet worship. You are blessing the heart of our Father God. And I want everyone to have that same spirit as my son Jude. But here's the deal. I told you, I have four kids in my house. So it doesn't always pan out that way. Go ahead and put this picture up. This was, this was Jude the year he went to camp. He's much older now, but this was him when he was 11. Um, 
and he's the sweet one that gives to charity, right? But in the same house, these kids came from the same womb. Then I got Jane, right? Fight the power girl right there. By the way, this was a 4th of July picture. We're not psycho, okay? (laughs) Jane going to camp, and I know because she did after Jude. Here's what she does with the barcode. She, the first night, gets $10 worth of snacks, tops. She rations under her bed. The whole week, just rations them until, and then she comes home and asks to cash out for the other 40, right? And she's a saver and she's fiscally responsible. And that's, that's some of you in here. But you know what? Some of that fiscal responsibility is birthed out of fear, not out of faith. It's, it's, it's hoarding, not being responsible. Then we got uh, the third kid, Benjamin, who I think in one sermon I told you he was my favorite kid. He still is this week, my favorite kid. Benjamin, this, some of you, you'll relate to this. I've been there before. I hope to not be there again, but I'll probably be there again. Let's be honest. Benjamin's paycheck to paycheck. He never got to go to this camp, but if he did the first day, he would have said, hey, I got $50 here, sir. Uh, what do you got in the way of Skittles? Give me $20 on Skittles. Uh, let's see. I'm going to do 10 Snickers bars. And what do we got with Sour Patch Kids? What'd you got? Go? Okay. Yeah. Give me 20, $20 on Sour Patch Kids. And he would have ate that $50 worth of candy as fast as he humanly possible possibly could have. Paycheck to paycheck. That's Benjamin. Jesus be with him as he grows up. And then we got, this was Cruz when he was two. Look at a mean mug. And that, that says it all right there. Boss baby. Cruz, we don't have a clue what he would have done with the barcode, but I promise you this. When Cruz was two years old and parents, you'll understand this. There was one word that he said uh, far and away more than any other word in his little vocabulary. And when he said this word, he said it with adult-like conviction and integrity and belief. He would say this word all the time, mine, right? <laughs> come on, all the parents are like, yeah, we under, like, my, why, where does that instinct come from as a little kid? They've, they've hardly heard anything, right? He's two years old and there's just this instinct to hold on and, and to, to, to clutch tightly to his stuff and always be using the word mine. And you gotta... Ask yourself, like, where does that come from? And it comes from his mom is where that comes from. <laughs> She's not here to defend herself, so I'm taking that. <laughs> comes from his mom. No, it, clearly, that's just, this is, this is the makeup of us from birth. Like, out of the mouth of babes, we learn a lot, right? And, and that instinct to, to, at such a young age, just clutch so tightly to things. It's like, you don't have to be trained to do it, which kind of stinks, Because there's very few things in the kingdom of God that are more beautiful and and more pure expression of worship than when we are generous. And yet from birth, we have to get out of us this natural instinct to just clutch and say, mine, mine, mine. And I thought to myself, if that's my family and all of my kids, just four kids in the same house came from the same womb, have that much different approach to finances. What's it like to this group I'm going to be talking to this weekend? Just a room, an eclectic room of people. And we all come in here on totally different parts of the spectrum when it comes to, to giving and generosity and fiscal responsibility and fiscal conviction. And I just want to say, as we start to read the word of God, that that some of you are amazing with money. Some of you, you're just being honest. You're like, I'm not great with money. Can I just say that has zero effect on the love of God for you in Christ Jesus? It is not by any kind of works we're saved. It's not by any kind of fiscal responsibility or fiscal awesomeness that we are saved. It is purely our faith in the grace of what Jesus did on the cross. And so I'm gonna meddle with us for a few minutes. I won't lie about that. But can we just rest in our posture? 
Can you just listen with a childlike heart, knowing that God's not mad at you? God's not trying to make you feel bad today. I'm definitely not trying to make you feel bad today. What I want for us, Hills Church, is to be people that get to the point where we are actually just thrilled when it's time to give. Just thrilled because we trust and believe the heart of God and the process of God so much. So let's read and talk about the heart and process of God. I'll start in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, starting in verse six, Paul says this, remember this, he would say to the Corinth church, I'll say, remember this, Hills Church. Now we're about to read something as scientifically real as gravity. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. That's as, that's as scientifically real of a fact as gravity. It's harder to believe because it's less quantifiable in the moment, but I promise you it is as real as gravity. Whoever sows sparingly, if you're new to church, Sows is just an ancient agrarian term that just means throw seed into the ground. Just like a farmer, just scatter seed into the ground so something will come up. Whoever sows, sows sparingly, you'll just, that's the crop you'll get. It's just science. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I don't know about you, but that fires me up. That shows me that with my finances, with my giving of my time, with my giving of my talents and all that, it shows me that the possibilities, if I so choose, are endless. And then he says this, he teaches us about the gift of sharing and the gift of giving. He says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, and then he says this, why? Don't give reluctantly, but also don't give under compulsion. Don't give emotively. He says, why? For God loves, not a giver. There's plenty of atheists who outgave me this year, right? There's plenty of people that don't have a conviction about what the kingdom of God and what creation was actually meant for that will outgive me this year. There's actually some profoundly evil people on planet earth that will far outgive me to good causes this year. God doesn't love uh, just a, a giver because we can give for all kinds of different motives, right? God loves though this. He loves the disposition of his kids when they give because God loves a what? A cheerful giver. So I just wanna talk about that for a few minutes today. What's it look like to become and to, to, to be a cheerful giver? This is one of the most beautiful evangelistic tools that you and I will have ever be given on this side of eternity is to not just be a giver, but to do it with such joy and such gratefulness that we have the privilege to be givers. And so the first thing that Paul says is when you give, please don't do it if it's just because of guilt. Don't do it because Pastor Chad came up and read a bunch of convicting verses and said a few interesting things and it kind of cut to your heart. And so you think, oh, okay, I better give because he preached good and there were some verses there and, and I'm in church and I feel, you know, whatever I feel. God says, no, 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 no. Permission not to give. You're not ready. Because I care about your motive more than I care about your amount. I want your heart for where your treasure is. Your heart will, will be also. I want, I want you to be at the place where it's cheerful. So, so we don't give out of guilt. But then the second thing he says is we also don't give out of compulsion. This is a powerful thing. For example, that video uh, Pastor Jonathan played last weekend. If you guys were here, I was watching uh, the sermon from home and I started tearing up when the father and the son, did you guys, were you here this last weekend? And if you weren't, there was a video of a father and a son and a wife and this son's got uh, sickness and uh, they've needed some help. 
Hills Church before they ever came or knew about Hills Church as you guys do, which is why I love this church. One of many reasons stepped up and practically helped build some stuff for them. Am I getting that right? And uh, all of a sudden they started showing up to this place. Like we got to go see this place that blessed us so much. Before you know it, they were coming, giving their life to Christ. And then he's playing a video and I'm crying in my office in Texas on Sunday where uh, the father and son are being baptized together, right? Like that, that, that was played to show you the beauty of what your generosity does. But make no mistake about it, those moments are incredibly uh, emotive, are they not? And let's just have an honest moment. This is important you understand this. We create church to be emotive, to stir your emotions. We don't hide from that. We don't apologize for that. Read the Psalms. When we're singing songs, we are wanting to stir your emotions in a particular. We are wanting to stir up hope. We are wanting to stir up faith. We are wanting to stir up joy. We are wanting to stir up peace by the way we preach, by the way we sing. When we come here, emotions matter deeply, but emotions can be really dangerous when it comes to giving if you're not careful. Because God's saying, listen, if you just give out of feeling it in the moment, you will regret it when the moment's gone. You can't live in a perpetual emotive church service all the time to keep you fired up. In fact, you'll spend 95% of your week not in these arenas, right? And so God's saying through Paul, like, listen, when you give, just decide. The greatest givers that I've ever put myself around so I could learn from them. One thing I've learned from them is the greatest, most cheerful givers in the end are givers who give out of conviction, not out of emotion. So in this series and speaking for, for me, especially today, I don't want to, to let emotions get in the way and manipulate you guys into giving. I want it to be done out of conviction. And let me put it this way. I'm not going to Sarah McLaughlin you. Some of you, everyone's going, what in the world does that mean? You guys remember this famous singer, Sarah McLaughlin? Well, there was one night, speaking of, of giving out of compulsion, there was one night I couldn't sleep. This was years ago, and so I got out of my bed, and I went into the living room, and I turned on the TV, I'm sure looking for ESPN, and as I was flipping through, you know what it's like late in the evening, there's uh, infomercials everywhere. And I flipped through one and, and I saw Sarah McLaughlin and I hadn't seen her in a while and she's sitting on a couch and it's this infomercial about animal cruelty and how they're trying to raise money to uh, help animals that have been abused. And right next to her, she's sitting petting this cat with one eye and a patch and <laughs> named Patches. And then right on the other side of her on the couch is a dog with literally only two legs. And she's whispering in her beautiful voice for $9.99 just $9.99. None of these animals will ever have a bad day or bad anything ever again And for $9.99, you know, right? And then, and then it's like patches there and then there, there's B-roll and it's her singing, in the arms of the angels fly away from here, right? And then it's the picture of a dog in the back alley right next to her was scooting with two legs. And I'm watching this and I'm starting to get super emotional, right? I'm like, Patches needs an eye. I can afford an eye. I'll pay for Patches. I, guys, I don't even like cats. <laughs> and I'm calling, signing up to pay for Patches' fake eye. I'll help the dog. I love dogs. I'm like, I'll help a dog with two legs. That's awful. He needs four legs so he can run, right? Like, I, it's 2.30 more. Well, so I, I literally sponsored an animal, however that worked. And a few months later, guess what I did? That's so embarrassing to admit. I unsponsored the animal. 
I got out of the emotions of it and I came to my senses and said, I don't care about it. I don't like cats. I'm not sponsoring patches. You can do without an eye. You got two. Right? Like horrible. So Paul says, listen, don't give out of guilt. You're not ready if that's the posture. Don't, don't give just out of them. Emotions are good. Let it speak to your heart, but take some time. My wife and I have, and we didn't do this in the early days. We wish we would have done it, but we're, we're learning like everyone else. But now when we're making financial decisions, not only do we stop and we really talk about it, but here's something really cool we've started doing. A lot of times we bring our kids in to have the conversation with us. It's easy. We're going to have the conversation anyways. We call them in and we let them start helping us decide where we're going to invest. We let our kids know and see that we tithe because a bunch of you, you hear talk about giving 10% of your income right off the top to, to your, your house of worship, your local church, and that gets you scared and that gets you nervous and you got all kinds of questions. A bunch of you didn't grow up having that model for you. So can I just say, do you know how much God's grace is on you to walk through this very difficult giving situation called tithing? But can I tell you as someone who grew up having it modeled for me and someone who has, even in my prodigal years, never wavered from giving of our tithes and offerings, can I tell you how passionately I will preach to a church about tithing because of the blessing that has been on my family's life? Like, I'm unafraid to talk about it. I know some people will misjudge my 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 motive or, or, or whatever, but I get so excited to talk about it because there's just something so incredible that happens to the human heart when you do something as personal and as important as money and you take the first tenth and you say, this is not even ours to think about. It's just going to the local church globally to help the gospel be spread all throughout the world. So no guilt, no compulsion. Those are what I call the first two cheer killers. You want to kill cheer. Cheerful giving that God loves, then let guilt win or let compulsion win. But then the third one I'll spend the most time on because Jesus spends a lot of time on it. This is a huge one. I don't think there's anything that will kill, kill the cheer in your giving faster than this one. And it is this entitlement. It's such a big one that Jesus walking down the street gets in the middle of an argument he wanted no part of. And he sees what's going on in the human heart and he knows how powerful and intoxicating greed can be. Greed always starts with entitlement, always. The, the root of greed is the seed of entitlement. I promise you that. Nothing will kill the cheer and cause you not to, to walk in the joy of giving like you deserve to walk in faster than entitlement. So let's read this story. In Luke chapter 12, I'll start in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, he like interrupts him and he says, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Good old fashioned family fighting over the will, right? Rest in peace, mom and dad. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge? or an arbiter between you. My translation is, man, I could care less. I don't want to get involved in this. I know, where the, I know what this smells of. I know where this is going. This is just good old-fashioned greed. When you should be worrying about grieving, you're worried about greed. Jesus like, I don't want any part of this. But then he says, no, I, I got to. I, I know how the human heart is. I got to step in and I got to say something. And so he said to them, listen to this. This is serious language. Watch out. 
right? Exclamation point. Jesus is like, take what I'm about to tell you very seriously. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed for life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, which is hard for me to hear if I'm being honest. You know why? I love possessions. I'm not going to lie to you up here. We're in church. God's here. I'm not lying. I love me some things. And listen, things aren't bad. Possessions aren't bad unless you make them ultimate. So Jesus is just saying, you gotta watch out. You gotta be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Remember this, uh, Hills Church, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And if you think it does, or if your lifestyle acts like it does, it's gonna go well, it's gonna go real wrong for you really quick. So he told them this, he's like, I'm gonna tell them a story as he always did. He told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Listen to the entitlement just in the language Jesus uses. So he thought to who? Himself. It's all about him, him and his money. It's all about him. What shall I do for I have no place? And then he says this. I think Jesus would have had a problem with it. To store my crops. Let's just stop there for a minute. I have no place to store my crops, right? And Jesus probably thinking to himself, oh, I'm sorry, your crops. Huh, okay. So you created the sun that came up again today for those crops to be nourished and you, you created, you produced soil, you, you somehow made up soil or you, you produced the miracle of what's called seed time and harvest time. Oh, wait, you, you spoke to the clouds and rain came down in harvest season for you to, to have those crops? Like, I'm sorry, I, I thought that was a sovereign, kind work of, of God. In fact, I thought the breath you had that you were breathing that gave you the breath to go out and pull in those crops, I thought that came from me and the skill and the talent and the ability and the savvy to buy land and to build more things and have more crops. I kind of thought that was a talent that from birth, that, I, that entrepreneurial zest and instinct you have that so many people don't have. I kind of think that was a gift I gave you from birth because I want to do something in your life and through your life that's for my glory and for your joy. And I want it to be beautiful. But this guy is like missing the complete point. He's just like, what am I going to do with my crops? And God's going, they're not your crops. You're just steward. You're just stewarding them. They're, they're my crops. So then the guy says this, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, again, you hear the entitlement? It's all about him. He's not thinking outwardly at all. You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. So take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, this is tough language, Hills Church, but that's okay. Let's, we're, we're all adults here. Let's sit in this for me. He says, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And Jesus wraps it up. Says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. It's not bad to store up things for yourself. As long as the motive is, I'm gonna be rich towards God with these things, right? 
Let me say that again. It's not bad to store up things for yourselves as long as the motive is, I'm not going to do it so I can just eat, drink, and be merry the rest of my life, and it's just all about this big party for me. No, the goal is I am going to store possessions up in my life so that I can share them. We have this saying in my house, and every one of my kids knows it and has memorized it. We say to our kids, often say, kids, we will never apologize for the blessings that God gives us and our family, comma, unless we don't share them. My kids know that. My kids will hear that till the day they leave for college and probably a whole bunch after that. And hopefully our grandkids after them will hear. say, we will never apologize for any blessing that God sees fit to give us because it's a blessing from God. However, we will apologize if we don't share them because this is the ultimate goal. This is the gospel message for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his first, he gave his best. He sacrificed for us when we least deserved it. Why? Because he's a giver. And you know what that ultimately brought to Jesus in that beautiful gift he gave us of salvation? Joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, right? He went through a difficult, fearful, rough season enduring something. Why? He knew the prospect was a joy. And on a much smaller but very same universal level, you got to understand this. This is oftentimes what we go through when we're learning to be givers. It's scary. Right? That's okay that you feel scared. God understands when Jesus was going to the cross, he felt scared. Read his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He asked God if there was any other way to do it. You ever do that with your finances? When God's putting something on your heart, but you've saved up a whole lot for that thing and you're really excited about that thing, but then you kind of feel compelled or you came to an important day of church and you felt like I should be better at giving and you're like, God, is there any other way? That like, like you're going to feel that when it comes to generosity, but you have to trust what we learn from our master and from our rabbi Jesus, that when you step into something that is holy and right, joy is always on its way. It's always on its way. When you give, very often you won't have all the fills in the moment of what you hope to fill. But I promise you this, when you give not out of emotion, but out of conviction, I promise you this, joy is on the way. Blessing is on the way. Provision is on the way. Our Father reaffirms obedience. And when you are obedient with something as, as profoundly personal as money, you don't think your Father is gonna reaffirm that by showing you that your trust was worth it? This is what he does. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 8. We're just picking up uh, back into 2 Corinthians 9. This is right after he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. It just gets better from here. Let this bless you when it comes to this issue of generosity and giving. It says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. It's like God's got you. When you start giving cheerfully and faithfully, God's got you. That's what Paul's saying. He goes on to quote an Old Testament scripture. He says, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. I love this. Their righteousness endures forever. Giving endures forever. Let me, let me put it this way. Stories transcend the grave. Stuff does not. 
It is not bad to have stuff. Enjoy your stuff. Be blessed by your stuff. One of the reasons we were put on earth was to enjoy it. Let's not forget that. Before sin got in the way and messed it up, God just wanted us to steward it, number one, and number two, to enjoy it. But the number one thing was to steward it, which means we're not just in charge of us and ours. We're in charge of everything to some degree. That's why sharing is an inevitable part of the gospel message because it's bringing the right created order back into this world when we are sharing because we are stewarding what's broken. We are taking personal what's broken and we are using what God has blessed us with, us with to help heal and mend what's wrong in this world, right? So, I'm just gonna keep reading. I, lost, I literally lost my train of thought. I'm not even gonna try and be cool about it. I'm not a TED Talk guy. I lost my train of thought. That's awesome. Thank you, Lord, for humbling me. Oh, they freely scatter their gifts to the poor, and then here it is. Their righteousness endures forever. Your stories are what you get to take with you. Past the grave. This is what endures forever, is when we do the right things. Righteousness endures forever. And he's using it in the context of giving there to the poor. They scattered. There's that language, the sowing again. They sowed stuff to people who, whether they deserved it or not, needed it. They helped people in need. And guess what? They've got stories to take with them to heaven. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more important this becomes to me. The less interested I am in all the things in my 20s and 30s that I was told I had to have in order to prove that I was successful. And so I would get caught in the trap of trying to get some more and more and build and build so I could prove to everyone around me that I, I did it. I did it. I achieved it, right? But as I'm, I'm getting a little bit older, that's, that's, that's starting to, to leave me. And what's getting so important to me is, man, I want to go to my grave with a legacy of stories. I want to go to my grave with a legacy of, of, man, Chad, he wasn't perfect. He had clearly some flaws, but he was helpful. He helped people. He served people. He gave when it was good for him and he gave when it was inconvenient for him because he never gave out of feeling. He gave out of conviction. Because I'm a pastor for the last 20 years, I've had the privilege of doing and sitting in a lot of funerals. It's a privilege to be in a funeral because it's such a vulnerable moment for people. And when you get invited to that, I, I, it's a privilege. I've yet to get up there and hear anyone eulogize the person at the funeral by talking about all the amenities they had. I just haven't. It always goes back to their character. It always goes back to these, these traits that we were originally designed for that they start to highlight and they start to memorialize. There's always stories and anecdotes about some type of service, some type of giving, something beautiful. I, I never get up there and hear a son, I was so proud of my dad. He had six boats and we had three houses. You know, one on water, one in the mountains, and one, you know, like, you just don't hear it, even if it's true. Why? Because it, it, when, when death's finally a reality, you don't care about that stuff. That's why Jesus lovingly but seriously says, watch out, be careful, because life doesn't consist in the possessions a man has. Life is God. How can I take the possessions that by your grace you have blessed me and my family with and how for your glory and my joy and for the good of vulnerable people, how can I best steward them? I promise you that is a prayer God will answer and he'll do it gently and kindly. And here's a cool thing. He'll allow you a process to get your heart there cheerfully. 
I've gotten a lot of giving wrong in my time. You heard me. I sponsored a cat and then took it back. I, I got like a work in progress, like trying to figure this thing out. And it's so personal. God has so much grace for you today. But let's just keep, keep reading. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. Again, it's like God going, I will reaffirm your generosity. Watch me. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be, what? Generous on every occasion. God's like, I wanna keep this cycle going. It's beautiful. It's kingdom work. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving, worship to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of this service, he's talking about taking care of the local church. Because of this service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession and the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And this is really cool. And their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given to you. And then Paul says what I totally feel now and understand. He, sa- he just ends this whole talk about giving in the church. And he says, man, thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Paul had gotten there. And that's the sweet spot. Man, when you finally think about generosity is not something I have to do because we read some scripture and the pastor gave a decent talk on why we should do it. No, 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 I get to do it. Like this really is one of those things where some of you are there and you would be going, yes, he's right. Listen to him. He's right. We've gotten there. And it is the sweet spot. It is the place where peace is found. It is a place where joy is found. It is a place where contentment is found. Man, contentment is a lost art. Paul would say in another letter, godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that, man. Like, like there's just something about giving that just realigns the human heart back to its original intent like nothing else will. So use it, leverage it. I beg you, like, God, if you're not there yet, like, God, get me excited. Keep giving me this revelation about the power of giving because it transforms the human heart in such beautiful ways. And we as a church, you're pastors, and I'm speaking on behalf of them because I know their hearts. And me as a pastor, I have this heart. I want this for every single person in this place. For some of you, just start small. If this is newer to you or if you come with some, some, some church and money baggage, just start small. Just start, just, just start doing this. Just start giving a little bit. The amount's not the point. It's not the point. The point is the gesture. The point is I'm gonna start doing a little reoccurring giving and I'm gonna just trust God with it. And it's just gonna start becoming a reflex. It's gonna start out as a sacrifice and eventually it's gonna become a reflex. I'm just gonna start doing it, a little reoccurring giving. And for some of you, it's a kind of a bigger issue. You're kind of further down the road on the spectrum of this giving thing. And for you, it's like an issue of the tithe. And I, I, I wish I had a whole Sunday to just talk about the tithe because it's such a beautiful thing when you really understand it. But it takes so much faith to start practicing it. But I've been doing it since I was a kid. I was blessed again. Again, I was blessed to have it modeled for me. So don't hear me going, man, Chad, that's awesome that you can do it. No, no, I, I had it 
while my brain was forming, my parents were modeling it for me. Not all of you got that, so grace on you. But I've been doing it since I was a kid and I, I, I take it so seriously. And if I could just chart my timeline of life, how much blessing God is, has put on me and my family's life, so much of it to me just comes back to that first thing I do every week is just say, God, you get the first fruits of, of my family's income before a light bill's paid, before food's put on the table, before clothes are put on our backs, God. We so trust in your supernatural provision that we just read about that we are going to be people who try our best to sow generously, knowing that you'll take care of us reaping generously. And I gotta tell you, God's been so unbelievably kind to me and my family. I just believe it. I just have faith and, and I want it for everyone. I want it for all of you. Maybe, maybe for some of you, you it's that. And then for all of us this week, man, especially as we get into serving the, the 50, am I saying this right, 50 corridor? Is that right? I got it. I'm, I'm gonna learn you, Sacramento. I'm gonna learn you. 50 corridor. As you guys get into that, all of us can step up. We've already got 400 people, but there's more than 400 people in this church. We've already got 400 people. What if we got five, six, 700 people to step up and serve? You don't think that blessed the heart of God and you watch his bounty be put on this place. You watch his blessing just continue to be put on this place. You watch to start the supernatural stories we have in this place, all over the place. God will do it. God will do it. I have been a part of multiple churches where I have seen this spirit come out in our church and I've seen God do miracle after miracle after miracle and, and I'm believing I'm not saying it's not already here but I'm saying I'm believing like never before Hills Church is about to make a completely new thumbprint on this community because of your generosity we can do this guys thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast don't forget to subscribe and if you haven't already give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God to learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.